This is a Sono India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. For two weeks, Scotland city Glasgow was buzzing with protests and activities. The city was host to COP26, an annual UN climate change conference in its 26th year. World leaders and negotiators were discussing ways to stop the planet from getting so hot that it is no longer livable. Also a growing conversation at this year's COP was a public health crisis caused by the climate crisis. Hi, I am Disha Shetty, reporting for this episode of Climate Emergency. As the COP drew to an end with little to show in terms of progress in the face of the climate crisis, what was apparent was the anger and disappointment among the young people. Many had braved the odds to come to COP from several vulnerable countries despite COVID-related restrictions and high costs of travel. In the end, it wasn't enough. Here's Eric Juguna from Kenya, part of the Fridays for Future group. I, COP26 has been disappointing. I came to COP26 expecting action at a time when the IPCC report is clear that the window for action is closing and the science is clear that we need a drastic action to limit a global temperature rise of 1.5 degrees. But having been here for the full two weeks, it is becoming more apparent that I came here to see firsthand as world leaders screw the lives of our own communities back at home. And I can confirm, having been leaving COP26 on Sunday, that I will have seen just that. It has been 26, uh, this is the 26th conference of COP26, and uh, there have been 25 uh, previous ones, and one too many, and uh, all of them have been a failure, and it has not been a surprise that this one is also a failure too. As impacts of climate change intensify, many vulnerable countries are bearing the brunt of rising extreme weather events. What was clear though was that in a place with a relatively stable climate like Glasgow, the message of vulnerable countries fighting for survival was not being received with the same urgency as it was being delivered. At a time when uh, the science is clear, the cognitive dissonance is astounding because uh, what is happening uh, in Kenya, the Kenyan government declared a drought a national disaster and which is wreaking havoc on the lives of millions of Kenya, spelling disaster, severe hunger, but um, compared to where the action is supposed to be happening, it is just aggravating to see that no commitments are being made. This COP saw a strong pushback from vulnerable countries who demanded climate finance to adapt to the changing climate. They also demanded finance for loss and damage, meant to be compensation from the rich country for the losses vulnerable countries are currently suffering due to extreme weather events. India, too, made a strong push for increased climate finance. Environment Minister Bhupendra Yadav 
speaking to the reporters at the sidelines of cop bharat kul mila kar ke is pure cop mein vikashil deshon ka pratinidhitva karta hai humne vipin groups aur forum pe bhi ye kaha hai aur hamara ye manna hai ki सेम लेवल प्लेइंग फील्ड पर आने के लिए क्लाइमेट फाइनेंस और टेक्नोलॉजी ट्रांसफर उसमें ट्रांसपेरेंसी आनी चाहिए जो सबसे ज़्यादा वर्नरेबल कंट्री है वो लोग को उनका किसी का भी इस कार्बन एमिशन को बढ़ाने में किसी प्रकार का कोई योगदान नहीं है वो ज़्यादा वर्नरेबल है और उनकी जो अपनी राष्ट्रीय आवश्यकताएँ जो राष्ट्रीय अपेक्षाएँ जिसको कॉमन में डिफ्रेंशिएटेड रिस्पॉन्सिबिलिटी कहते हैं उनके हिसाब से उनके अपने लोगों के प्रति जिम्मेदारी और भूमिका है आप टेक्नोलॉजी ट्रांसफर को भी बात अगर आप करोगे तो उनके देशों की जो आवश्यकता है उसके हिसाब से उनको उस टेक्नोलॉजी पे भी तो जाने के लिए समय लगेगा तो कॉमन लेवल प्लेइंग फील्ड के लिए अल्टीमेटली उनको क्लाइमेट फाइनेंस करवाना ही चाहिए इसको पब्लिक फाइनेंस और प्राइवेट फाइनेंस में भी अंतर होना चाहिए क्लाइमेट फाइनेंस की स्पष्टता से डेफिनेशन भी तय Vulnerable countries like Bangladesh were leading from the front. Saber Hussain Chaudhry, a negotiator from Bangladesh, pointed to the key problem: the discussions at COP had to be made by consensus. This details the bold action that the movement needs, he said. Well, uh, let's talk about the the leaders who came at the beginning. It certainly got through to them because that's why they were talking about higher levels of ambition. and the need to do more uh, so there is a disconnect uh, there and uh, and also remember and this is my view not as a representative of bangladesh but as a parliamentarian the unfccc process is uh, is based on consensus now uh, when you are looking at consensus and you are facing an emergency the two don't uh, sync you know you need to be bold you need to be ambitious uh, you need to be aspirational Uh, so a consensus based approach which is based on lowest common denominator uh, is not really going to go to the levels that you want to go to. so it is not just the parties and the on the content of the negotiation the substance i think it is also the process um, which uh, perhaps we will look at in the future uh, to what extent is this process fit for the current state of global emergency that this is all over the world so far The global temperatures have already risen by 1.2 degrees Celsius since the pre-industrial era. Even a target of 1.5 degrees Celsius is not aspirational. With current emissions, the UN estimates global temperatures will rise by well over 2 degrees Celsius, a death sentence for many countries. 1.5 uh, is still uh, not a comfort zone. You know, 1.1 is which is where we are today. You look at what is happening in India, what is happening in Bangladesh. They won't go back. So people always talk about 1.5 that it's a solution for everything. It is not. Um, it is the absolute barest minimum that we have to do. It is should not be an aspirational goal. An aspirational goal should be much lower, uh, and that should be consistent with the objective of the UNFCCC, which is to prevent uh, human interference with the climate system. so we have not just interfered you know we have almost broken that uh, climate system a silver lining from the cop has been the rising conversations on public health impacts of climate change suno india spoke to dr purnima prabhakaran of the center for environmental health at the public health foundation of india 
She was speaking at the day-long side event on climate and health at the sidelines of COP. Impacts of climate change on human health can be very different, diverse. It can be direct as well as indirect impacts. So in terms of India uh, being a country which is all known to be a very diverse country with multiple different states, all of ha- them having different climatic vulnerabilities. So we've seen like in India, there might be a state that is facing a flood situation, where at the same time you might have a state that is facing a drought situation. So the impacts are very contextualized. So in terms of direct impacts, we have seen in India in recent years, the heat waves have become more frequent. They're not just more frequent, they have also increased in terms of the duration and in terms of their frequency. So uh, the health impacts of heat waves can be both direct in terms of just ranging from heat exhaustion to dehydration to kidney failures to strokes. So at the other end of the spectrum is the exposure to cold waves. So we don't talk about it a lot, but especially the extremes of age, uh, people can be vulnerable to the impacts of colder temperatures as well. And that's also being seen now at increasing frequency in India. So that's with regard to the temperature variabilities. In terms of increased precipitation, we are seeing increasing frequency of floods. Floods, storms, cyclones, many of our states, even very recently, Orissa, Kerala, uh, Uttarakhand, we've seen the floods. So the impacts of those kind of situations is on terms in terms of waterborne diseases. Uh, uh, we see more frequency of, uh, you know, post uh, flood situations in terms of stormwater overflow, it can lead to kind of waterborne uh, diseases like cholera. COP negotiations also highlighted the tricky space for many developing countries like India with polluted air. On one hand, cleaning up the country's toxic air requires urgent action. On the other, India, who announced a net zero target for 2070, defended its right as a developing country to take longer to transition. In the final hours of negotiations, India objected to coal phase-out and watered it down to coal phase-down. The move was met with a lot of criticism from around the world. The public health costs of this will be high for India. Air pollution is now being linked to health impacts ranging from hypertension to worsening maternal health outcomes. Air pollution is also known as one of I mean, the top of the table risk factor for cardiovascular diseases. We have evidence now from India about impacts of deteriorating air quality, not just on you know the distal effects on, card, on the heart, the heart diseases, but also on the intermediate risk factors like hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes. So there are now uh, pockets of research now happening in India that are showing that, you know, for example, our own uh, group in PHFI and the Center for Chronic Disease Control, we are doing research um, linking the exposure to particulate matter, PM2.5, and a bunch of different health outcomes. So in terms of blood pressure, we have shown that every three to five micrograms increase in PM2.5, um, you know, increases the Uh, I mean, every 25 micrograms increase in PM2.5 increases the blood pressure by 3 to 5 millimeters of mercury. It sounds like a small figure, but think about the number of people who will be having high blood pressure and what it means in terms of access to healthcare. That many people with hypertension are going to now go to doctors. We already have a situation where we are overburdened in terms of our healthcare services. We don't have a good doctor-patient ratio even. So just because you have not 
controlled your air quality, you're going to end up having people with more blood pressure, more people reaching the health system to access you know, treatment for blood pressure. So I think that's the language we need to, uh, you know, convey to policymakers. You know, it has been shown that if you reduce, uh, if you achieve the national air quality standards for India, you can reduce the prevalence of blood pressure in Delhi by 15%. So that's the kind of research that is coming out. We are doing similar uh, you know, association studies for blood, uh, blood glucose, fasting blood glucose and diabetes. So I think the research is out there now. So there's, there's no need to wait now. We have to address, uh, especially air, air pollution. It, the pollutants are common to both air pollution and the climate pollutants. For example, fossil fuel combustion. You see a lot of common pollutants between these two uh, environmental risk factors. So we talk about the term of co-benefits for health by addressing these two issues together. Meanwhile, the rich countries came under fire as well for their role in stalling climate action at COP. Luisa Neuber, also from Fridays for Future, expressed disappointment with her home country, Germany. Well, for me, I'm coming from one of the richest countries in the world, and if we don't deliver on the promises that this country made to the most affected places, um, we're not just failing the future, we're failing, we're failing present um, generation. As the COP26 drew to a close, many vulnerable countries accused the rich countries of bullying. But as a negotiator told Suno India, it has to be about us all and not just a single country. That is something that this COP has failed to deliver at a moment that solely needed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Climate Emergency. If you like this episode, please rate this podcast or leave a comment. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. 